Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, both of On3 and InsideTexas.com. And guys, I know it's football season, but let's start with a little basketball. Texas basketball, of course, had their orange and white basketball scrimmage last night. Uh, Jerry, I'm going to let you start yeah. and maybe talk about what you've heard and all that good stuff. Well, I think the main thing about last night was, you know, it's more just introducing guys, the, some new players out there for the UT fan base, especially the students. Uh, Caden Shedrick and Dylan DeSue, as we had been reporting on Inside Texas, they weren't going to take part in the scrimmage. Caden Shedrick farther along in his rehab than Dylan DeSue. Dylan DeSue is a, I'm just going to call him a slow healer. Um, and he's not expected to play maybe through November. Uh, oh, wow. We'll, yeah, he may not be back until December. Um, so we'll see that's stemming from that foot surgery in that uh, round of 32 game late against Penn State last year, ended up having a medical procedure and has uh, just been uh, slow to get back. He's starting to do some small, small things, but nothing uh, close to being ready to play in a game or practice with the team. Uh, Caden Shedrick, on the other hand, is involved in more team five-on-five activities and practice. They're bringing him along slowly. So he's on track, uh, but it'll be interesting, I think, early on. I've watched the guys work out. I wasn't there last night. I've watched the guys work out a few times, uh, and and I'll, and I'll say it's a team that's going to shoot the ball really, really well. Uh, sunny Florida, thank you. That's great to uh, – uh, check in for him. Uh, this is going to be the one of the best three-point shooting teams Texas had in the last 15 years since KD and DJ Augustine and all those guys were in Austin. Should be the best free throw shooting team uh, Texas has ever had in my years covering them. Uh, and they're ranked 18 preseason in the poll. Saturday, they have the closed-door scrimmage in Colorado against University of Colorado, um, and who has a couple of pro prospects on that team. I think that will give this staff a good gauge of where they're at uh, with the season opener November 6th against Incarnate Word, who's po- one of their point guards is TJ Ford Jr. So I've asked TJ, um, you know, wh- wh- what what you going to be doing, TJ, in Austin that night? And he said, you know, the only time I probably will cheer against Texas in my life will be when my son's on the court for Incarnate Word. So that's Texas season opener November 6th. But it's a team that's going to shoot it really well. They have some newcomers. They're gonna uh, they're bringing in Chris Johnson, six four, uh, combo guard. Uh, you know, Kendall Weaver, the transfer from Texas Arlington. Ithiel Horton, the transfer from UCF, and of course Max Asmus, uh, the the high scoring guard, the uh, one of the nation's leading scores uh, out of Oral Roberts. So Texas is gonna shoot it really well this year. Um, I, I think you're gonna see a lot of three guard with Tyrese Hunter, Asmus. And Ithiel Horton, especially at the start of the year, while Shedrick's working back to 100%, and they get Desu back, uh, I think you're going to see a lot of that small, the smaller ball three guard with Dylan Mitchell at the four, and Zarek on Yimna and Shedrick rotating at the five, and that means those guards off the bench are going to be huge uh, with uh, with Chris Johnson and Kendall Weaver. Uh, I think Texas has really good depth at guard. I think they have really good players at guard. And I think Brock Cunningham is going to have a really good, what seems like his ninth year at Texas. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Jerry, uh, just uh, going down the stats uh, from what I saw, it looked like uh, Anyemya and Dylan Mitchell led scores. Mitchell had 10. Anyemya had uh, nine. Both had six rebounds and led their their respective squads uh, as well. 
so a lot of different uh, guys involved. Uh, Max Asmus, you mentioned uh, with seven points. I had a question about something you mentioned, and I know we're going to have Joe Cook on later, uh, Inside Texas beat writer. He was there yesterday uh, or last night at Gregory Gym. Uh, he's going to be uh, joining us around 8.30 this morning, talking not only basketball, but a little football as well. Uh, and I, I wanted to ask you something. The Texas free throw shooting is something I, I, I heard you talk about there. Oh, yeah. You went about 10 years there where free throw shooting at Texas was abysmal. Has this been a focus not only of Chris Beard, but now Rodney Terry as a go forward? Because it seems like Texas free throw shooting, we were talking about how they were a good free throw shooting team, not only last year, but the year before. And you're saying they're going to be even better. Is that something they're really focused on? I think it's just a bad product of recruiting better offensive players. I mean, I, I think Rick Barnes got into a rut there at the end of his time in Austin. Um, and really, uh, Shaka Smart, was, that was that was abysmal. Um, so from a free throw per shoot, uh, shooting perspective, I mean, I, I think what Texas has done is they've got more quality bigs that make shots, um, especially in that that 12, 15-foot range, can play face in the basket a little better. I'm not every guy. Christian Bishop wasn't good. But here's the thing. Chris, even Christian Bishop was a mid-50s percent free throw shooter at Creighton, comes to Texas, shoots mid-60s. They're helping these guys get better. But I think it's just more quality guys shooting the basketball. And I can tell you, under Rodney Terry and Frank Hate, they're going to play fast. They're going to recruit guys that can shoot the basketball. It's going to be a theme. I think the one thing that bat, a lot of fans, especially Texas fans, that may not follow college basketball as close they see 75%. That's not very good. Well, this isn't the NBA. I mean, like if you, if you shoot 76, 77% from the free throw line, you're in the upper third of college basketball, sometimes in the top 25, 30 teams. Um, I'd have to go back and look at where Texas was last year, but uh, I think it's just a product of, of recruiting more well-rounded basketball players offensively, but especially guys. I think the thing is they like guys that they're looking for guys that hunt those free throws and make them late in games. If you have a history of doing that, I also think with free throw shooting, the more guys you get out of the portal, the more experience they have. That's true. Yeah, I get it. I get All it. Right. Well, guys, you're watching Coffee and Football presented by Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. And uh, plenty of time to get your questions in, so please do so. But before we move on and talk recruiting, I got, I got to read this comment real quick from Buddy Pal Chief Big Guy. He says, like the video of Jerry, will give a live demonstration of Manscaped. <laughs> Manscaped, Jerry, if you're ready, I'm going to let you take it away. Look, hey, look, by the way, guys, I'm I'm doing this in my car at Chick-fil-A. I woke up with no internet this morning, so got a technician coming out. So I will not be giving the dis uh, a demonstration in the Chick-fil-A parking lot because that would lead to an arrest. Uh, but yeah, we Guys, we are brought to you uh, today by Manscaped. Uh, it, <laughs> I have an urgent message for you. This episode is brought to you by Manscaped. The brand that took your balls to space is now launching them in, into the ultra sphere, introducing the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra, featuring a new cutting edge design and next generation dual skin safe blade heads for different shaves. It's pretty much a spaceship to take your boys downstairs to the next level. Join the 9 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with the brand new, the Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code ONTEXAS, all caps. Again, ONTEXAS, all caps. High tech for low places, manscaped.com. 
Manscaped.com. Uh, amazing products Manscaped has. I use the shaver on the road. Uh, I've used these uh, Manscaped for years and years. My son was introduced to Manscaped. You know, guys, when he hits about 15, 16 years old. Uh, oh, so Manscaped on Texas, all caps, Manscaped.com. 20% off and free shipping. Uh, hey, that is a good deal, uh, by the way. Uh, I have not introduced my son to that yet, though. So. Uh, on to use. Hey, on man, Texas come on, Bobby. It's a it's a dad thing. You got to do it. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for him to to bring that up. I think. Uh, the comments are killing me. Jerry's killing me. It's just one of those mornings. All right. Well, let's talk about recruiting, guys. Uh, there's obviously. Well, there was a big commitment last night from Texas A&M. Jerry, will it have a domino effect? And can you talk about that? We're getting lots of questions on it already. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, I think Draylon Miller from Silsby uh, decommitting from Texas A&M. And by the way, it looks like LSU is the leader over USC in that one, which is where his recruitment was when he committed to A&M. He really liked USC. I don't think, think his family liked the idea of him being that far from home, which probably gives LSU an edge there. Uh, but what what's interesting is in the Golden Triangle and in East Texas region, I mean, look, it's Draylon Miller, it's Ty Anthony Smith, Jeff Choate was at Jasper for Thursday, Weston Davis, the offensive tackle at Beaumont United, even up into Temps and Terry Bussey. Those East Texas, Southeast Texas kids have a connection. They've grown pretty tight throughout this process. So when one guy who may be the voice of all of them jumps off, jumps out of the ship now i mean jumps off the ship at the college station we'll see what happens i mean that's a that's a tough one for texas a&m there as the losses uh as the losses mount you know what happens is these people start questioning is 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 there going to be a coaching change what's going to happen here is my position coach going to get fired so these are things that uh are going to have to be addressed by jimbo fisher texas a&m uh, because that's really bad timing because, I mean, it's after the Alabama and Tennessee losses back-to-back. Um, and I can tell you with Weston Davis, um, you know, he's talked to Texas a little bit, not as much recently since Brandon Baker committed to Texas. Texas is focused on DeAndre Carter flipping him from Auburn at modern day. If that happens, I'm not sure Texas isn't done at tackle. They might want to take somebody if they walk through the door. But I'm not sure they're absolutely, absolutely going to push for a fifth offensive lineman and in this class, but Weston Davis, he picked AM over LSU. And a lot of people thought he was going to go to LSU. So LSU could be the real benefactor here if these Texas AM guys start jumping ship. Well, Terry Bussey is definitely a potential. It's more LSU yes. than it's at this point. For he sure. was at LSU last weekend. Yeah. yeah. The the one that the two that Texas is really focused on of that group are uh, not only Weston Davis, you mentioned him, the tackle as a possibility, de- depending on what other what else happens at that position. But Ty Anthony Smith, the linebacker out of Jasper, Jeff Choate has been on him from the get-go. Uh, his commitment yeah. uh, to A&M, uh, you know, it was, it was a direct head-to-head win over Texas. Uh, is that Where is that situation at? You mentioned Choate went down there uh, last week. Jerry, what's, where's that at? Yeah, I talked to somebody uh, close to that recruitment Monday in Jasper, and and they think Ty Anthony was still solid. Um, and now we'll see what happens here in the next two or three weeks. I think it's his long game uh, because Ty Anthony was originally scheduled to officially visit Texas September 30th, the Kansas game. He decided not to make that trip. Uh, he, he was up front and told A&M or family member told A&M that this trip was coming, that this trip was planned, and A&M got that shut down. And since that time, 
there has not been as much talk by Ty Anthony about Texas within that Jasper program. So we'll see what happens over time here. But it's Texas playing the long game at linebacker recruiting right now. Choate was at Justin Williams' game at Oak Ridge, the Georgia commitment, the five-star Thursday, after he had been at Jasper, after they had gone by Summer Creek to see Xavier Atkins, another LSU commitment. Uh, that linebacker who's having a whale of a senior year has exceptional playing speed. Uh, so Texas is – those three guys, they're all committed to SEC programs. They're playing the long game here, and I think Ty Anthony Smith is a long game. One thing to remember for Texas fans is a very, very, very popular person within that Jasper community is Red Bryant, who played at Texas A&M and then the NFL. Got it. Interesting. And then, Jerry, we're getting a, a couple of questions about a couple other A&M commits that haven't been mentioned yet. What about Miles Davis and Dominic McKinley? I think Miles Davis is a guy that Texas still talks to. Blake Gideon still talks to him. Justin Wells and myself have reported that. He's talking about making an unofficial visit for the Texas Tech game. I think Xavier feels same. McKinney's higher on the board right now, though. I think that's where it's at. Somebody asked, would Texas take both safeties? No, I don't think so. I think you take one in the high school ranks and one in the portal. Um, but Xavier feels same, I believe, is higher than Miles Davis right now for Texas. Blake Gideon's expected by McKinney here in a couple of weeks. Don McKinley, we'll see. I mean, Texas had light talks with him, uh, but that one would have to uh, that one have to be truly initiated by uh, McKinley and family for Texas. Texas is not going to find necessarily... out. Oh, go ahead, Jerry. I'm sorry. I'm not sure Texas is necessarily going to chase McKinley. He would have to chase Texas. Hey, let me ask you this. Uh, when are we going to find out just how serious Dimitri Nicholas is or this guy from Mississippi on the defensive line or if these are just passing offers? I mean, um, when, when are we going to find out if they're really interested in Texas? No, I, I, Demetri Nicholas is definitely interested in Texas. Bo Davis was by Miami Norland last Thursday. They're talking about official visit dates. So I expect, unless something changes, Demetri Nicholas makes an official visit to Texas. I mean, and with the way the Auburn season's going, I mean, and being a South Florida recruitment, I mean, look, somebody I really liked in this business once said that you don't want the first or second commitment from a kid from South Florida. You want the third and final commitment. Uh, so that's kind of recruiting in a nutshell in South Florida. Uh, Dimitri Nicholas is not closed off. His process is in the balance, and he's definitely tech talking to Texas about setting up an official visit date. Uh, we'll see when, if that's during the season or right after the season. Hi, right, guys. Well, let's move on and talk about the Houston game for a little bit. The line, of course, shifted last night once again. Uh, it went up to 23 and a half now, I believe. Yeah, Bobby, I was about to say, are you surprised by that? But it looks like you are, judging by your reaction. Yeah, I, I have a hard time believing that it's going up. I didn't, But, I mean, these guys in Vegas, they know stuff that I don't, clearly. Um, I, I hope Texas is, comes, comes out ready. I felt good about uh, Sark's press conference on Monday. Sometimes you can glean a little bit from a head coach uh, how his team is responding and working. Um, I felt good about that. But, man, I mean, Houston, is, is Texas really 23-point favorites over a Houston team? Man, I don't know. Uh, we'll see, I guess. I mean, Houston played a good brand of ball there to beat a team that uh, – a West Virginia team that, frankly, uh, was undefeated in the Big 12 and 4-1 and one and and moved the football running it. Um, so, uh, I, I'm interested. I, look, I think Texas should be the favorite. Don't get me wrong. 
I just was thinking more like two touchdowns as opposed to three and a half. Right. I mean, that's, that's it makes you wonder. If, it makes you wonder if Smith's going to wake up with a sore back Saturday morning. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Just right? saying. I mean, something's going on. I mean, I don't know what what it might be, but uh, we'll see. I mean, the, the Longhorns need to come out ready for Bear. I mean, they 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 absolutely need to uh, make a statement. Not necessarily in this game as a whole, but they they need to say, okay, we're here for the rest of the way. Uh, after the performance against OU, which was uh, lacking for the b- better term, uh, I feel like they need to come out and really make a statement. And uh, a 23-point win against OU or against uh, Houston, I think, would do that. It's just I, I don't I I feel like U of H's receivers are being undersold nationally right now. Now maybe Texas gets by and treats the U of H offensive line like they treated the Baylor offensive line. Maybe that's what people are seeing. I, I just don't know. I don't, I don't. I don't see it that way. Perhaps I'm wrong. I, I think what's interesting too. I mean, some people have said this on the comment section. I agree. It's going to feel like a Texas home game in a lot of ways as well. I, I think with this game, we've talked about all year. Texas has to get off to a fast start on offense. Fast start on offense. I talked with Rod Babers about this. I think Texas needs to get off to a fast start on defense Saturday. I think that is much more – I think offensively, Texas is going to score a lot of points against U of H. I mean, they're one of the worst defenses in the country, whether it's the run or the pass, um, outside the top 100 ranked teams defensively. I think Texas defense needs to get off to a good start Saturday, get some positive momentum, get some positive juice. Uh, the last thing they need is some a replica of OU – how OU had success against them early in the game Saturday. Uh, I had a question here about and Solomon Williams still leaning a and <clears throat> I mean, we'll see. We'll see. He's scheduled to visit Oregon this weekend. Alabama is still trying to get him on campus for the LSU game. Everything I'm hearing is still a, uh, a Texas versus Texas A&M recruitment, and A&M's been the trending team. But if he makes those these, these visits coming up, we'll see. I mean, things can change. Uh, but Oregon this weekend, official visit, then it's supposed to be back at Alabama for, I think, the LSU game if his recruitment goes that long. Okay, guys. Well, you're watching Coffee and Football presented by Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. Like I said, plenty of time to get those questions in, which we will get to here in just a moment. But first, I am going to uh, let Bobby tell you guys about one of our sponsors today. Yeah, absolutely. It's Factor, the uh, uh, the number one, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kick, kit with football season here, the kids in schools. You and yours might be looking for something wholesome, convenient meals for those jam-packed days. Factor helps you fuel up with fast, chef-prepared, dietitian approved ready-to-eat meals, and they're delivered straight to your door. That's what my wife and I like. You'll save time, eat well, and stay or get on track with a healthy lifestyle. You can skip the extra trip to the grocery store while still getting the flavor and nutritional quality you really need. Factor's fresh, never frozen meals are ready in just two minutes. Literally, you pop it in the microwave. So all you have to do is heat and enjoy, then get back to doing whatever you need to do. These are not your typical frozen meals. These are never frozen. The chicken is absolutely delicious. My my wife and I are big believers in their calorie-conscious options, Uh, just uh, 550 calories per plate. Uh, the chicken is literally the best I've had, and we've tried several different services. 
We really like it. As I've mentioned before, we don't really talk about things on here unless we enjoy them. Uh, go to factormeals.com uh, forward slash Texas 50 and use code Texas 50 to get 50% off. That's Texas. Uh, that's code Texas 50 at factormeals.com forward slash Texas 50 to get 50% off. Uh, again, I, my wife and I eat them about three or four times a week uh, on the regular. Uh, just ter tremendous uh, meals, uh, full, whether it's chicken and green beans or mashed potatoes, anything like that, uh, good cost con or healthy and cost conscious meals. Okay. Hey, a couple we'll of things I want to hit on. Um, yeah, go ahead. Hey, Blake, want to hit on real quick. Somebody asked about recruits at the U of H UT game. I, uh, I'm planning on going Saturday, so I'll I'll, I'll check around, see who's going to be there. I know some of the Shadow Creek kids are going to be there. It's going to be mostly 2025s that Texas would have interest in. 2024s, they're not really recruiting the same players. The other thing, David Keith Williams, before we get to uh, uh, what's up next, asked Don McKinley's a five-star playmaking DT with high character, high college upside. Here's the thing with Don McKinley, though. He's not like a Tommy Harris. He's not, he's not one of those guys that's going to walk in and start kicking butt from day one. He's going to need a little time in development. So he's a five-star upside guy, but I'm not. He, he's not viewed by college as the five-star guy who's going to come in and be a difference maker right away like very few guys really do. All right. Well, as Bobby said at the beginning of the show, we have Joe Cook joining us this morning, and I'm going to bring him in. And Joe, of course, was at the uh, scrimmage yesterday, so – I'm going to let y'all take it away. Yeah, Joe, uh, tell us, uh, first of all, you were at the basketball scrimmage last night. Tell us about what the, the fan atmosphere was like around the team coming off the Elite Eight appearance. Uh, it's Rodney Terry's first full year. Uh, what was everything like last night? Yeah, it, it was a, a really fun event. Um, they've done this a few times over the past few years. Uh, sometimes it's student only. Sometimes it's invite everybody. Uh, and it's just a basically a way for fans to get a first taste of, of the team uh, this year in a public setting. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of football season. We're on, you know, on Texas football. Uh, so uh, I think Rodney Terry and everybody kind of understands where, you know, people's attention may be. So this is an opportunity for everybody to see a lot of new players, uh, whether that be, you know, Max Acemas, uh Kendall Weaver, uh, Chris Johnson, a, a bunch of different guys, whether transfers or or freshmen, uh, and and see how they re, uh, are able to play and, and get everybody excited for the season, which begins unofficially, uh, maybe with a secret scrimmage, and then you know publicly with the St. Edwards scrimmage on the thirtieth. Um, the teams, as far as uh, they were split up, uh, I would say that they had the the starting caliber ball handlers uh, on the orange squad. Uh, Ace Miss and, and Hunter uh, were were on that team, uh, and then while the the starting available bigs uh, were on the orange team, and namely uh, uh, or on the white team, namely Zariko and Yema and and Dylan Mitchell, and and as I wrote on Inside Texas, I think Dylan Mitchell kind of was the the star of the show at least last night. Um, he looked more and more like the number four overall prospect or the five star prospect that he was than, than he did last year. And, you know, he showcased fantastic athleticism last year. He was a great teammate last year. Uh, but sometimes college basketball players knew how to manipulate him on the defensive end. Didn't seem like that this time. Um, he was probably the seventh option offensively last year. 
he's not that this year. And he showed a couple really, you know, uh, fantastic fadeaway jumpers from the uh, left baseline over some, you know, really tall defenders. I, I think Onyema and maybe he got Brock one time. That's a touch that we didn't see at all last year. Uh, so that was the the highlight. Um, I think obviously with Ace Miss and and Hunter, those are going to be your ball handlers. Uh, Kendall Weaver uh, has some fantastic athleticism. He's going to be a guy who is going to feast in transition, I feel like, being able to get some dunks up and uh, being able to run to the rim. But he was a little bit careless with the ball. He had he had two turnovers. Um, Chris Johnson really impressed me. Uh, I think in a non-portal era, that's a player who's maybe a six-man. In the portal era, he's he's going to probably get minutes. Uh, but he, he did a lot of really impressive things, both passing and shooting. Um, and I think uh, uh, one of the biggest positives that could come out of this last night was Zeriko Nyema's play. Um, Rodney Terry talked about how after the game, they're kind of aiming for, uh, you know, they, they believe they're going to get Caden Shedrick before they get Dylan DeSue. And Jerry, you've been all over that uh, over on Inside Texas with your updates. But still, they're probably going to be without both and, and without at least one of them for some amount of time. So that means that Onyema is going to get a lot of minutes there in the post. And uh, he may not be the, the tallest. I think he's 6'8 or 6'9, but he's probably the biggest big that Texas has had in the, you know, since Shaka left. Uh, he's able to, you know, he's 235 pounds. He throws that weight around. He was able to back down Brock and uh, Mitchell relatively easily. Um, and he hustles too. Um, he tries to make some pass plays on the interior. It's it's been hit or miss. There was some, you know, okay, it's a scrimmage type uh, plays that weren't made. Uh, but to look at you know a, a, an orange team that had probably a couple more starters and to see that they scored thirty four points in sixteen minutes of action, I thought that was encouraging. Um, and I thought what you, what you saw from uh, individual players on the white team was was also encouraging. Yeah, uh, I was going to hit on with Joe on basketball before we move to football. Just one last thing is, you know, on Desu and uh, Caden Shedrick, for people that just came in, and I don't know if uh, Rodney got into specifics on timelines, uh, but, you know, for Shedrick, he's been going through some of the team five-on-five stuff in practice. They're just, he's not just not to a point where they're going to break him out in the game yet. I don't expect him to play Saturday in the scrimmage either. That's a closed door against Colorado up in Colorado. Uh, with DeSue, I don't know if uh, Rodney got in specifics, Joe, but uh, I'm thinking late November, early December is what I'm hearing there. Yeah, that that's what he said. Uh, I got the quote pulled up. Caden is progressing really well right now if everything continues on the trend he's heading right now. He's going to have a chance to play here really soon. Uh, and then with DeSue, we're playing the long game with DeSue because we want him for the whole season. If that goes into November and the 1st of December, no problem. So it's not. And, and, and the, the one thing I was going to say, it's it's got to, you got to see it as a blessing in disguise if a guy's injury or injured, right? With DeSue. Now, the, the problem with DeSue is he's a slow healer, and that's been over time here at Texas. But uh, Zurich and Yimna. They're going to play more three guard early this season, which I think is actually going to be their strength. And they're going to have to find a rotation through three guards with Hunter, Asmus, and Ithiel Horton. I think all going to be playing close to 30 minutes a game, if not more, more for Asmus, probably a little bit more for Hunter. Uh, but they're going to have to find that rotation because Dylan Mitchell wants to develop on the wing, but he's more of a 
he's more of a athletic four at the college level anyways than he's going to have success on the wing. So it's going to be a blessing in the skies in a way because they're going to get to play on Yim the more and develop him. He's their both best physical interior defensive player. Shedrick is their best rim protector. Uh, so they're going to get those guys are going to get their feet wet and find their way. Yeah, they're going to figure out this rotation here. Then they, when they bring Disu back into the fold, they're really going to attack offensively with Disu the same way they did last year. There's going to be some changes offensively for Texas uh, within the way they attack on the offensive end, which we'll get into in the future a little bit more as the season gets closer. But it, it's going to it's going to be an opportunity for a Yimna and Shedder to get more time to get their footing with this team. Uh, and, and as they build this rotation out and, and get these two ready to go, uh, I think that's why uh, this staff, I think they have a plan with Disu, and their plan is to have him 100%, not try to rush him back. Uh, so they so they feel like they can be cooking with gas offensively here uh, when Big 12 play starts. Hey, hey uh, transitioning here, Joe, from, uh, from basketball to football, you were at the uh, Steve Sarkeesian press conference on Monday uh, as well. Uh, it, it seemed to us, at least from, from what we saw, that Sark had a fair amount of confidence going into this week about how his team was handling the off week and how they practiced on Monday. Did you get the, a sense of any of that? Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that has to do with the the rest. You know, I, I think there are some coaches that over the course of a bye week might beat a team down and, and not like mentally, but, you know, say, hey, we're still practicing. We're going to keep this going. Uh, Sarkeesian took a, a different route, and basically a lot of the reps last week were uh, taken by second and, and third team players. So I think that's why he was so confident in that those second and third team players, uh, the scout guys, uh, the Arch Mannings of the world, they kept the competition level high, according to Sarkeesian, and uh, he liked how that played back in on Monday with, with the competition level remaining high when uh, the the ones kind of took their places back on the practice field and getting the majority of the reps. So, uh, you know, I, I was trying to think over the course of, you know, the past couple of days, we haven't really heard of a time, I think dating back to the preseason where Sarkeesian just starts complaining about uh, the way his team practiced or the way his team handled uh, a certain, you know, stretch of days. Of course, you know, the games are one thing when you have start slow starts like they've had against Wyoming and Kansas, but those are games. And of course, the loss is another and that reflected disappointment. But I mean, I haven't and I know uh, he's complained about how his team has practiced or, or, or handled situations in the past during these midweek settings or early week settings. But I can't think of one uh, this year and that that continued to, to hold true on Monday. Maybe it's uh, maybe the team's growing up. The only thing I thought that he may have complained a little bit about were the breakdowns on the back end uh, of the final drive, still uh, kind of tearing at him a little bit uh, of the OU game. Uh, Joe, uh, Joe's the uh, beat writer for Inside Texas uh, and uh, also here uh, joins us. And he has a show on Friday afternoons called Questions Answered with he and Justin Wells. Uh, Joe, one of the one of the things that I'm uh, looking at and thinking about uh, as Texas moves forward to, to U of H, um, you know, Texas, Texas is 23 and a half point favorites right now. Doesn't that seem, that seems to me like a lot of points. What What are your thoughts on that right now? I mean, it, it just seems like it's a little overbearing. I mean, I, I don't know. 
I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, I think if you kind of go back to maybe August and in July or even you know May, no team in the Big 12 was probably pilfered via the transfer portal more than U of H. They, I think they lost their best running back to Colorado. They lost a lot of their offensive line. They lost uh, – I think they lost a key coach. Um, Tank Dell is still in Houston, but he's playing for the Texans now instead of the Cougars. Uh, they got a good pickup at, at quarterback with Donovan Smith, you know, a power five player, but they lost the guy, I think, Clayton Toon, I think, from, from last year. So even in May, going through July and August, you just kind of look at, at Houston and think they lost a lot. Um, and then they, they lost to Rice, and I, I, like, I like Rice. I, I've always kind of uh, – if for some weird reason, growing up in Houston had a little bit more of an affinity for them than I did for U of H. And maybe it's because the baseball camps I went to are at Reckling Park instead. Uh, but, uh, you know, if, if you're Houston and you're a power five team and you're trying to, you know, move forward as a program and become a power, f- you, you can't lose to Rice. And I think that indicates a lot about the Cougars this year. Uh, they have some skill talent. I mean, Texas wanted Matthew Golden. Uh, Texas wanted uh, Michael Harrison pilot. Both those guys are Cougars now. So there's always going to be some skill talent on that roster. And Dana uh, more than anybody knows how to manipulate that skill talent, but there's just so many other deficiencies to where I, I, I see why the line not only started at 20 points, but moved to 23 and a half and uh, why there are uh, a considerable amount of rumblings about, Dana's status here as is, is he's in what year four, I believe. So uh, that line makes sense. Got it. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Joe. All right, guys. Well, Joe, thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, we'll see you next time. Absolutely. Thank you guys. Good luck, Joe. Uh, let us know if, if you hear anything. We'll do. All right. All right. So, oh, go ahead. Joe's a good guy. He's a good guy. Yeah, great guy. Great guy. Hardworking guy. I love guys that have their hustle on, and Joe definitely does. Um, so the other thing U of H, though, I was looking at is, you know, I think the West Virginia game is what people are looking at. Obviously, the, la- the last game U of H played, they were not competitive against TCU, and they lost by 20, and that was at home. They lost 36-13. Yep. We just lost Jerry. Lost Jerry a little bit there. <laughs> okay, he'll, he'll pop back on. I, I know where Jerry's going with that, Blake. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I get it. Um, I think that that in football, though, you seem to be your very last game. You know what I mean? It, it carries over more there than it does necessarily. I don't. I don't think what we saw from U of H was uh, an up and down team as much as they were just. They hit a high point last week in that last half in my opinion and if they can continue that then what are they going to look like the rest of the year you have to remember they're breaking in a new quarterback new offense all these receivers are different and so they may just be hitting their stride a little bit would be my concern Uh, jerry you're back what what did you have to say there yeah yeah i mean they they've just they west virginia is the first competitive game in big 12 play i mean they were lost by 23 to tcu uh, only scored 13 against a bad TCU defense, by the way. Not saying bad coaching staff, just a team that wasn't tackling well going into that game. And then lost by 21 in Lubbock uh, to the 3-4 and four Texas Tech Red Raiders. 
So, I mean, and somebody mentioned they were getting bombed by Rice until the late comeback. So, I mean, it's not a team that on the surface, if you you watch outside the West Virginia game, you would think would be competitive with Texas. Um, But that's why I say I think Texas defensively needs to get off to a good start. Texas is going to score a lot of points unless they just turn the ball over or or show up or the bus takes them to the wrong stadium Saturday. They're going to score a lot of points, and they're going to have their 500-plus yard game. Um, but I think the defense getting off to a good start uh, because I, the one thing I wonder about Texas defensively is that you, you can lose a little confidence in a game like Oklahoma. Um, and I, I think this is a good game to gauge the Texas defense's confidence coming off OU. They need to get off to a good start because if you get off to a bad start defensively against a U of H, you can get into a shootout because you start playing on your heels a little bit and questioning um, uh, things you're doing because the same things that happened against Houston were happening against Oklahoma. I want to say this, that that Texas Tech U of H game you're talking about, Jerry, to give you an idea of how, how good Texas, uh, how good Houston can be on, on offense at times. I mean, they scored 28 points in the first half against Texas Tech. Now they gave up 35. It was 35, 28 at halftime. Yeah. Um, and so they can score points in bunches. Right. If you don't watch out. And that's why getting off to a good start defensively, I think is big for Texas Saturday. They're going to score points. They're going to move the ball. Now, there's no doubt about that. I mean, look, Texas could have one of those games where they rush for rush for 200 plus and throw for 300 plus Saturday. It would not surprise me at all. Yeah. Well, I, Texas Tech ended up winning 49 28 in that game. They shut. Uh, Donovan Smith and the Cougars out in the second half. Uh, but uh, certainly, like I said, I think Donovan Smith's a streaky quarterback. And I said this yesterday and said it the day before, uh, when you get a streaky quarterback, you know, everybody just has to kind of play to his his strengths and weaknesses and hope, hope at some level he's not very streaky right then, you know? Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Okay, guys. Well, it's time to get to some questions right here on Coffee and Football presented by Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. And we got plenty of them. So I'm going to start with this super chat from Jay Lee. He said, and thank you, Jay Lee. He says, getting better, but what's your thoughts on our offensive line? There's Banks and there's inexperienced Campbell, but outside of them, is it as talented as we need it to be? I, I think I think it's a talented offensive line. I mean, look, I, I don't think um, – Texas is a ways off from having a Georgia or Alabama offensive line where all five guys get drafted. Um, that that should not be the expectation right now. Does Texas have a really good offensive line? Or I think they do. I, I think Kelvin, like the one one of my big takeaways, guys, being at the Cotton Bowl for the Texas OU game was Kelvin Banks is not healthy. He was visibly limping out there throughout that game. I think that week off, it's been more talked about because Jake Majors went down in that game and JT Sanders' injury was known heading into that game. But I think some time off for Kelvin Banks is probably going to be big for him. I, he 
he had a visible limp in that game, especially the second half of that game. So uh, I think Texas, the one thing about the Texas offensive line is they were healthy last year. This year they've had to deal with injuries. Um, but I think this, I think it's coming along. I think DJ Campbell is improving as a player. I don't think Kelvin Banks necessarily played to the All-American level that some people expected, uh, but he hasn't played poorly e- either. Uh, but I think you're going to see more guys, uh, you know, look, this is a group that Christian Jones will be what, Bobby? A fourth, fifth, sixth round draft pick. I mean, we'll see where Cam Williams goes, but he has higher upside. Um, Neto, as a long-term prospect, may have higher upside than the guy playing in front of him. Uh, so we'll see in the future where this line goes. I think the talent is on track to be really, really good. But I think this offensive line, look, it's you're not going to get a lot of complaints from me on the offensive line when you're averaging 570 yards in Big 12 play. And one thing I've said is you're going to give up some sacks in this offense because it's longer developing pass plays. And if you call those 25 times a game, you're going to give up some sacks in college football. I I think that it's a year away from being ideally talented, uh, but that doesn't mean it'll necessarily be better next year. I mean, look, they've got Neto, Cam Williams, are both more talented than the people ahead of them right now. But the people are ahead of them for good reason. Christian Jones has three years on Cam Williams. Uh, Hayden Connor has at least a full year on uh, on uh, uh, Neto Umiozulu. So those things are going to happen. Then you look at center. Jake Majors is – I think Jake Majors may be working himself into a NFL draft pick. I mean, a lot of people would say, what do you mean? Well, I think he's going to be a sixth or seventh round center is what it looks like to me right now if he just keeps getting better like he is. Uh, so uh, add all that together, it's it's a talented offensive line. It's not uber-talented. is right. Now, you start adding guys like Cam Williams, DJ Campbell, Neto, as well as uh, Kelvin Banks, and then you're starting to talk about as talented as there is anywhere. I, I, there's, a point, there's a point I always make on offensive line. It's twofold. I think they're – maybe a misconception that you have to be uber talented at every position. That's not true. Uh, Clemson won two national titles with fourth, uh, with the highest NFL draft pick as a fourth round pick or fifth round pick on the offensive line. The one thing about offensive line is if you have, or if you're really good around an offensive line in college football, you can mask that not being uber talented, right, Bobby? Uh, I, I think that's the one position that you would love to be uber talented everywhere. Only two programs truly have been, um, in my estimation, the last 15 years. And I'm not discounting Ohio State, um, but I think Alabama and Georgia have been a different level. Uh, That's two programs out of 135, right? Michigan this year. Michigan this year. But they haven't been for all the time under Harbaugh, right? That's been a build. He had to build Uh, it up. Yeah, they've had to build it up. So you can win. Clemson won two national titles with – an offensive line that wasn't even in the same ballpark with an Alabama, Ohio State, or Georgia, just to be clear. Okay, well, let's stay on the offensive line for a second. Helio Castillo says, would you rather have an elite pass blocking or elite run blocking line for this Texas team? I know in a perfect world you would want both, but if you had to choose, which one would it be? See if Bobby and I have the same answer here. I would say pass blocking. Yes, because you've got these receivers that are kind of freaky. And I'm not so sure that's not why they went with uh, Hayden Connor over Neto. 
at left guard. I say pass blocking because Sark recruits pocket passing quarterbacks. And for those guys, for him to be able to maximize pocket passing quarterbacks, you have to be really strong in pass protection. He does not recruit dual threat guys. He does not want his quarterback to, to run unless it's last resort. He does not call QB run game stuff. So your pass protection better be very good. And he calls a lot of longer developing pass plays. He puts pressure on his offensive line and pass protection. Then now let's jump over to the defensive line. Drew Elm says, with the lack of effective pass rush the last three seasons, do you think it's a personnel problem or a team problem? He says it's hard to tell at this point. I don't know why it would be hard to tell. Um, I think I think it's personnel. Um, look, his his scheme uh, at Washington had plenty of sacks. Um, Ovio Gufu, I don't know what his numbers are at, at uh, LSU right now, but he was just not a pass rusher, Yeah. period. Um, and that was a key pass rushing position. Uh, they've already gotten more out of their guys this year than they got out of Ovio Gufu all of last season. Um, and so I, I do think that that there has to be some seasoning placed on the guys, just like Baron Sorrell has gotten better over time. Ethan Burke's going to get better over time. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the real key here is I don't know that Texas is getting enough right now from its interior defensive line as a pass rush, or if they are rushing the pass or they're getting out of their lanes and gave up too much to OU. So, but Texas only had one problem really this year in getting to the passer, and that was against Oklahoma, in my opinion, and getting out of their lanes. That combination, let's see what happens against guys like Donovan Smith this week, okay? Like Will Howard and, and Avery Johnson uh, at, at uh, Kansas State. Uh, let, let's see what happens to those guys going forward. This is why, guys, for me, Colin Simmons was a the must-get recruit in 2024 they need that elite elite edge rush guy that changes your defense for me you don't have to have you're not going to have two or three of them but you need to have one of those guys and if you have one of those guys it's amazing what it'll do for your pass rush capabilities um but yeah this is a this is a team i, I for me you know it, pk has to bring pressure because he is front four is not going to get enough pressure on its own. He doesn't have that type of personnel as pass rushers, so they have to bring pressure uh, from different places and in numbers to be the, as good a defense as I think Texas fans want them to be because now you're starting to play real quarterbacks and real offenses, and it doesn't look the same as it did the, early in the season. Well, Bobby, you mentioned, you mentioned the interior defensive line. This next question has to do with that. Christopher Weather says, Weatherford says, what's holding Sadir back? I assume he's just not in college football shape. Was hoping to see him a bit earlier. I think so. One of the things with Sadir, um, and I think Bobby and I'll agree on this, is with a guy like him, he's physically been able to dominate everybody he's ever gone up against. Now he's got to learn to play with technique, and you got to get to the point where, as a young player, as a guy who comes in and you're 6'6", 350 pounds uh, or more, you're down to about 335 pounds, you got to be able to play multiple snaps 100% in a row while using technique. I mean, it's not just a – this is a guy that he wants to develop to be the best player he can be, 
Uh, he has to mature a little bit. Um, you know, he's getting coached hard, really hard, probably for the first time in his life. But Bo Davis is not easy on these guys. He coaches you hard to get you where you want to be. That's why he's known as a developmental coach. Uh, so there's something that comes with that. There's an adjustment period that comes with that. Uh, he is changing his body. Uh, but he has just been able to get away, and he is very talented. He just bullied guys, and he would beat them with just his natural ability a lot of the time. Now he's learning to be a defensive lineman this year. I've got to say this. Um, Steve Sarkeesian is very clear about this with guys. He wants – he doesn't need Sadir Mitchell at 80% for 20 plays. <laughs> He wants Sadir Mitchell at 110% for five plays. Yeah. And until he can get that consistency out of Sadir or out of anybody, any young player, he's not going to play them as much. And so keep that in mind. One of the things he mentioned at length on, on Mon during Monday's press conference, Jerry, were mental breakdowns and consistency from young players. Yeah. Okay. He needs more from them before he relies on them again as well as the frontline players he has today. So Sadir Mitchell needs to learn the difference between 20 plays at 80% and five plays at 110. That's my opinion. All right. Well, hey, real quick, Bobby, uh, someone put up Ovi's stat line for the year, five solo tackles, zero sacks, to your points. <laughs> it, it doesn't change. A leopard doesn't change its spots, guys. It just doesn't work that way. Hey, hey, Blake, I need to say thank you and want to say thank you to our sponsor uh, for this week's uh, or for today's Coffee and Football. Uh, that is the Lowy Law Firm. He's been helping injured Texan, Texans for decades. You've been injured on the job or uh, in a car wreck and think you may need representation, legal representation. There's no one better to call than Adam Lowy at the Lowy Law Firm. Call him up, 512-280-0800 or visit him at LowyLawFirm.com. Great thing about Adam is he gives you a free consultation without any strings attached. Uh, that's 512-280-0800 or visit him at LowyLawFirm.com. We appreciate you, Adam. Hey, David Keith Williams has a, uh, something right now I want to get to. I love it. Uh, okay, David Williams says, I'm interested to see a 240-pound Colin Simmons rushing off the edge. However, I would be really interested to see a 280-pound Jare Bledsoe rushing off the edge like Shamar Turner does for Texas A&M. Well, Bobby and I mentioned this, but I, I want to bring this up again. Uh, I, I think Jare Bledsoe is going to be one of the players to watch next season for Texas. I, I think, you know, we've said before the season, you see some flashes from him this year, but next year's where it gets real for Jare Bledsoe. I think we're going to see more flashes the second half of the year from a pass rush standpoint because they need it, Bobby, as you've mentioned. But I, and I think this is going to be his growing up process the second half of this year. But I think the final two years in Austin of Dre Bloods are going to be really productive. Hope so. Because uh, I, I will say this uh, I would love to see a 280 pound defensive end, but Texas didn't recruit a five star. I mean, Shamar Turner's a five star defensive end, right, Jerry? Yeah. Um, and so let's let's be clear. Uh, at the same time, Shamar Turner is really going to be more of a four or five technique on the pro level. No too. doubt. No He's doubt. Not necessarily an outside rush guy. So, look, uh, A&M does not have issues at defensive line. No. They have issues everywhere else. Yeah. But, I mean, everybody in the SEC is talking about A&M's 
defense line. Oh, they've got a great defensive line. Best D line these coaches have seen. When okay, what are they in the what are they in the SEC right now? Because they don't have anything else. Right. I mean, they can't defend on the back end. Um, they, which they speaks they, by, by the way speaks how good their D line is. They're a tenth ranked defense in the country, and they struggle at corner. And they're four and three. Yeah. I mean they they've lost. I mean look, it, it you gotta you gotta take the good with the bad. And right now it's not the defensive line that you want to compare. You're, it's everywhere else. I mean they it's not like A and M is devoid of talent at receiver either. Evan Stewart's a tremendous prospect. Okay, Noah Thomas is playing well for them. Their problem is everything else. I mean they got a freshman offensive lineman that is so ballyhooed. They were thinking he's the next Kelvin Banks over there. He gets pushed into the quarterback at least six times a game. He's not Kelvin Banks. I mean, that's and that's they have that may they have the best may have the best D line in the country and one of the worst OLs in the country. Yeah, and, I mean, and their OL is, I mean, Max Johnson's a tough guy. He was getting smoked against Tennessee with Wigman already out for the year. They're not. He's not going to make it all the way through the year. No, not taking the hits he did Saturday. No chance. No chance. Not, not in that conference. I mean, you can't nope. you can't pass protect as poorly as they pass protect. I mean, it was like a swinging gate against both Alabama and Tennessee. All right, guys. This question from Captain Americano. He says, discuss the player development process. How much is position determined by the player's body? How much does the strength and conditioning program sculpt the intentional intentionally by adding or subtracting weight? Jerry, you want me to go with that one? Go ahead. Yeah, I, I think that uh, the process is you, you get what you get when you come in. So he could be 6'5", 370, like, I don't know, Cam Williams, or 6'5", 300, or 400, like Cam Williams, or 6'5", 370, like uh, Sadir Mitchell. You try to get him down to a reasonable playing weight, whatever that weight is for that frame. Or you try to build them up, the exact opposite. You get someone, I don't know, like... I don't De, DeAndre Moore who comes in at 180 and you want to get him to 200 eventually and yet still be a slot so he can take some punishment. There's different categories and yes, coaches do have an idea of where they want those guys eventually to be. The problem comes when a guy can't gain weight or can't drop weight. I'll give you an example. Chris Ross. Chris Ross is a guy they wanted to be at 280, 290. Well, he can't get above 250, really, or 255. And so he's going to have to play outside. He's not now going to be able to be recruited for the or play the position he's actually recruited for, which was the interior. And so, and, and there are anomalies like that, right? Things, things do, can and do happen. Uh, but overall, Texas, I feel like, has done a great job getting players in their best. I mean, you look at Tavondre Sweat right now and how much he's changed his body. You look at Baron Sorrell. I mean, he has just totally done it. Jalen Ford. Uh, te Texas has done a nice job. I don't know about you guys, but I don't look at the Texas offensive line and say there's a bunch of fat guys out there. No, they look great. Yeah, I mean, and so they're doing their job. Uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. One guy to watch for his development and Jerry's mentioned this a hundred times, I bet, is Cedric Baxter. Remember how he looks today and where he will, what he will look like in 24 months. I just want y'all to put that out there uh, because that will be a key portion 
of uh, development for Texas, in my opinion. Uh, and that's one of the things that uh, has me excited about the future of the program is this, this staff has proven they can develop talent. And if they rec keep recruiting top 10 classes, then they're going to get to develop that level of talent physically. The Cedric Baxter's of the world, Sadir Mitchell's of the world, Jare Bledsoe, Jamon Tat. Uh, it's not Adwater instant player. These guys take time physically uh, as much as they do technically a lot of times, depending on where they come from around the country. Um, so th that's the thing that has me most excited because this staff has proven they're developing players and they can develop that talent, whether it's Tory Becton or from a technique and coaching standpoint. And if they keep recruiting the level of talent they are from the high school ranks, and it could be the three class, the five class, the nine class. Uh, but if they keep recruiting talent like that, they're going to develop a lot of future NFL draft picks. All right, guys, we got a lot of questions regarding this weekend and quarterback play, so I'm just going to pick one of the many. Uh, Longhorn Larry says, with Houston's total defense ranked 114th in the nation, do you think this would be a good team to give Art some playing time against? I mean, the reality is the only way Malik or Arch is coming into the game is if it's a three or four touchdown game in the fourth quarter. If the I, game was in hand. Yeah, I, I mean, look, I do think Texas – I think Sark plans to get Arch in a game this year. Uh, I think he wants to. I mean, Malik's got a little time. I think he wants to get Arch on the field, get a couple of passes uh, uh, off that right arm, uh, get him get him in a game, let him take some snaps, hand it off, what have you. Uh, but he definitely wants to get Arch a little time this year. But it's, the situation's got to present itself, and hopefully not by injury, by the way. Uh, but it, if they're up 21-28, it wouldn't shock me. Because they they got it. they want to get Arch on the field enough this year because they're going to have a quarterback competition with him and Malik this spring. All right, next question here uh, is also about this weekend's game, and it comes from Jose Rodriguez. He says, "Bobby and Jerry, could we afford to play without J.T. Sanders and Ryan Watts versus Houston? Seems like Houston is in for a long game, regardless of who's in there for Texas." I, I think if J.T. Sanders didn't play, I, I think Texas puts up five hundred plus yards unless they turn it over four times regardless uh, of who's in the game against Houston. I think offensively, because U of H defensively is just not a good football team, I think if JT Sanders said, hey, you know what, JT, let's sit and get you 100%, uh, they'd be fine, just fine offensively. Defensively, Bobby, I, I mean, it's a different different animal. You know, I, I it's very interesting. Um, Houston, like you, like Oklahoma, is going to have to manufacture a run game because yeah. they're not going to be able to run the game typically. So they're going to have to run QB run. They're going to have to do jet sweeps. They're going to have to throw bubble screens. They're going to have to throw quick. That is where Texas missed Ryan Watts last week. It wasn't in pass defense as much as it was run defense and those outside. I, mean, I can't tell you how many times OU – got outside and made six yards instead of two or three. Um, and that's something that Ryan Watts would help prevent. And so uh, at the same time, Ryan Watts gives away a speed component that maybe Manny Muhammad, Gavin Holmes, those guys don't. Um, and I I'm interested to see how Texas plays this. I agree that, that, uh, that uh, missing uh, Ryan Watts would be a, a negative at the same time, especially in zone coverage, by the way, um, at the same time, JT Sanders gives you an element uh, on offense that makes you 
able to score from just about anywhere um, and adds a, a big play element. Uh, will this, you know, will either of them matter? I don't know that answer, uh, but I wouldn't want to go into this game without, I don't want to go into any game without both of them available. That's my opinion. I, I think they're both frontline guys and you want both of them. Okay, guys, this next question from Bubba Walker. He says, do y'all see us fighting our way back to the top four in rankings? That all depends on if Oklahoma loses a game in the regular season for me. Um, I mean, uh, unbeatens are going to go down. I mean, Georgia without Brock Bowers is interesting now when they go to Tennessee. Tennessee is good on defense at home. Uh, I think top 25 ranked defense overall. Uh, but uh, that Georgia's schedule just got a little tougher without Brock Bowers. Um it's still not a tough schedule, don't get me wrong, but a little tougher. Uh, but, uh, you know, then Michigan, they, they have to beat Penn State and Ohio State, right? I mean, they have to win both those games. Either Ohio State's going to take a loss or Michigan's going to take a loss. We know in Penn State, they all play each other. People are going to take losses. Um, then you have Washington, right? I mean, if they win at USC, they still have a tough schedule out there in the Pac-12. You can get outscored in a game out there. Um, so I think, but the, for Texas, the key is going to be OU winning out in the regular season, whether Texas get back in the top four, if Texas wins out. Uh, let's see. And two, uh, you mentioned Bowers here. We have a comment from buddy pal, chief big guy he says with Bowers out for the year, probably JT should be the favorite for the Mackey award. Y'all agree? I'll be honest. I haven't looked at the top seven or eight tight ends and their stats this year. Um, but I mean, JT had a cat, a game without a catch and he wasn't a real factor against OU. So the rest of the season's huge for him as well. I, um, I got to be honest. If that happens, that would be that Brock Bowers is, is I'll put it this way. I think JT Sanders is a future starting NFL tight end. I think Brock Bowers is Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski. Agree. Let's just be clear. Um, and so there is a categorical difference between Brock Bowers and the rest of the tight ends in the country. That doesn't mean that stats and time on the shelf won't impact the eventual Mackey Award winner, which would be great potentially for, for JT Sanders and what he's done. And, and I always go back to this, Jerry. He came in as a five-star at Texas, but he was one of those developmental five-stars. Yeah. You just talked about with Dominic McKinley. He wasn't ready to go from day one. Look, um, I mean, he, he put his body and made his body and developed himself into a guy that now is most definitely going to play in the NFL and get drafted. I mean, let's think about this with JT. He had never played tight end. Right. I mean, I know. He was an edge player and an outside receiver, an, an outside wide receiver at Denton Ryan. He had so much development. Uh, as a tight end, but here's the great thing about player development. You know why he's a great guy to talk about Bobby and Blake. He wanted to be a tight end. His goal was to be a tight end. He's put everything into it and he's still, he's still got a ways to go as a blocker, but he's put everything into it. And that's part of player development too. It's not just Jeff Banks and Tory Becton at that position. That guy's got to be all in to develop at his position. And that's what JT wanted to be. He did not want to be an edge pass rusher, which is what most colleges wanted him to be. He said, I want to be a tight end. And he's put everything he has into developing as a tight end. And I'll say this, it's been impressive because I'll say this, JT has a negative that's going to pop up with, for me, 
with NFL guys when they really start get looking for every ward. He's a neutral wingspan player. And that'll be talked about in NFL draft time. He is tremendous for being a neutral wingspan player at that position. So that development, some of it's on the staff, a lot of it's on the player wanting to maximize their talent. And he is a testament of that. I like him. I like him. And I agree with about that. Uh, I talked to an NFL general manager about four years ago, and we were talking about tight ends. Number one thing he said that we look for in tight ends and maybe, you know, at any, uh, any type of tight end is mismatch ability in the passing game. Yeah. Does he have something? It doesn't matter whether it's speed um, catch or catch radius or quickness. Does he have some sort of mismatch ability in the uh, in the uh, passing game? I think I think JT does slightly because of his speed. Yes, agree. And and he can make something. He makes something happen after the catch. Yep. All it takes is one missed tackle, and he's going to get 10, 12, 15 yards. By the way, somebody on the comment section is picking Penn State over Ohio State. It's still crazy to me to look at college football defensive rankings and Manny Diaz is coordinating the best defense in America to date. The, the offenses in the P- Big Ten outside Correct. of the top ones are, are just brutal to watch. Correct. If Penn State then, has a top then losing Jeff Brom from Purdue to Louisville. No doubt. Put that conference back another, you know. Anyways. James Franklin has recruited some hellacious personnel, by the way. He really has. Tremendous recruiter. All right, well, we got time for a couple more questions right here at Coffee and Football presented by Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. But before we get to those, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell everybody about the Lowy Law Firm one more time. Yeah, absolutely. Adam is a friend of the program. We appreciate him. He's been helping injured Texans for more than a a couple decades now. Give him a call at 512-280-0800 or visit LowyLawFirm.com. If you or a loved one have been hurt in an injured in a car wreck or on the job and you need you think you might need representation adam's there for a free consultation once again that's 512-280-0800 or visit him at loweylawfirm.com uh somebody's asking about uh colin simmons height and weight six two and a quarter six two and a half about 220 225 i see him frame wise a lot like robert mathis the old colts edge Okay, guys, this question here from Todd Lacey. He says, how does Texas get back on track against Houston? How do you envision their plan unfolding this weekend? Get in the get in the end zone. That needs to happen. As much or more than anything, Jerry's talked about trying to start fast on defense. Texas offense needs to get in the end zone and get the taste of blood and then run at it um, and just keep keep beating it up. That's what needs to happen for Texas to get back on track. Get uh, it close to the end zone and don't give it up. Yeah, I, I Blake Zane at Petty asked, you don't have to bring it up about Asa Newell and Hoops five-star. I, I think the family favors Georgia where his brother was a walk-on player. I think Asa favors uh, Alabama and Texas. will be very interesting to see what happens there. Okay, guys, last question for today, and it comes from Drew Elm. He says, on a scale of one to Bobby Burton, how confident are we that Texas wins out? I just got something to say. Let's be clear. Uh, Bobby (laughs) is a – he's a six on the confidence meter that Texas wins out. Maybe seven. Is that accurate, Bobby? Let's be clear. I I am (laughs) – let's be clear. I am – 
I'm roughly a five or a six. I mean, you got to remember, I went, I went ten and two to start the season. Same. Um, now I thought that they could, they could up that to eleven and one after the Alabama win. Uh, but you know, until Texas proves that it's consistent on both sides of the ball, uh, in the secondary in particular, okay, and getting a better pass rush, and then putting the ball in the end zone on offense. Those are the two things, when combined, that if Texas proves to me over this game and maybe BYU, so then when they play Kansas State, when they go to Iowa State, uh, when they host Texas Tech, uh, those kind of games, I feel a little bit more comfortable with. I, I I'll say this: um, Texas is a be- clearly a better team than anybody they play. Correct. I, Correct. I, I, I like TCU better when Chandler Morris was the quarterback. <laughs> I mean, nothing against Chandler Morris. Um, I, I'm putting it as a seven and a half right now. Um, I, 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 you know, Iowa State should not beat Texas. But the fact that Matt Campbell has that team four and three, that guy's a tremendous coach, whether you like him or not. That guy's a tremendous coach. I mean, they're gonna people are gonna play Texas very hard, uh, and and I think uh, look, it, it pretty much comes down to three things: if Texas executes at a higher percentage in the red zone, uh, and they get enough pass rush, and their safeties play at a decent enough clip, I, I think they have a really good chance of winning out here. Uh, by the way, somebody wants an ALCS prediction tonight. My only prediction is Kyle Tucker gets a hit. <laughs> After that, who knows? I don't. That would don't be helpful. That would be helpful if you're a long or if you're an Astros fan. I'm not going to predict Jeremy Pena actually hits a home run. It's been like four months. Um, I would say I, I think the Rangers are going to be too much for the Astros right now. So Texas or Astros are not getting enough from the bottom of their lineup right now. And Dusty Baker is not going to do something like go with Yainer Diaz. Uh, he just doesn't do that. So, I, uh, by, by the way, uh, somebody said Matt Campbell's lost five games every season, but one at ISU. He's a, he won four conference coaches of the year by his peers in seven years as a head coach. Iowa State is a not a good program. Nobody's ever going to win big there. Uh, Matt Campbell's a damn good football coach, guys. Played for a Big 12 title. At Iowa State. That won't be done again. Well, (laughs) I won't say often Unless it's done by him. Yeah, I mean, Texas and OU are leaving the conference. I can't say it definitely won't be done again. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, guys. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Coffee and Football. Of course, we want to thank Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm for – Uh, sponsoring today's show along with Manscaped and Factor. Thank you all for tuning in. Be sure to hit that like and subscribe button. We would definitely appreciate it. And then ring the bell so you're notified anytime and every time that a new video is posted right here on On Texas Football. And for Bobby Burton and Jerry Hamilton, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you tomorrow morning. Welcome.